We left off. I'm actually completing a lecture that I started, but my wife says it has to be called lecture number three for the purpose of sermon audio. But I wanted to complete the uh, some of the points that were brought by uh, the beloved J.B. Gambrell in a lecture in which he lectured in uh, February of 1900 on obligations of Baptists to teach their principles. Uh, you know, just the fact that he, I think I mentioned this before, but I'll say it again, just the fact that he would have such a lecture with such a title <laughs> bespeaks where they were in his own day. Uh, the need for a lecture on this matter of our obligation to teach our principles. Of course, that, that subject would be appropriate for any age at any time. But uh, certainly it was needed then, it's needed now. I did leave off last time uh, with reading something that uh, uh, I wanted to, to read it uh, again. Some of you actually commented to me uh, about about what he said and, and concurred with with him and felt that the emphasis was was uh, true and appropriate and that is he's taken up uh, on in my book it's page 247 of, of uh, Gamble's lecture uh, recorded there uh, he's taking up the matter that Doctrinal preaching. The importance of doctrinal preaching. And of course he, uh, he talks about the fact that there's great outcry against doctrinal preaching on page 244. And then he makes this statement, I give it to you again. The trouble does not, he talks about that the, 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 the notion is that Doctrinal preaching is dry. He says the trouble does not lie in the doctrine, but in the dry preaching of it. I don't think that could be overstated. He said dry preachers, dry preachers have turned the very bread of heaven in stones and not a few have found no better use for the stones after they made them than to cast them at their theological adversaries. Much of the doctrinal preaching, much of the doctrinal preaching is not only distastefully dry, but distressingly gritty. Hmm. And then of course, on 245, he begins to express himself about the tragedy of the reaction, the deplorable reaction, he calls it, to that. Uh, the reaction to dry preaching. Uh, I don't know what goes on in your home, but my home from time to time, I find something that I, especially on the internet, 
I ask my wife to look at it and we have a laugh. Or she finds something and asks me to look at it and we have a laugh or a cry. And uh, I can tell you that dry, dry doctrinal preaching is, is, is no more uh, desirable today than it was in 1900. It's, uh, it's of no use to have the truth if you have not the passion of the Savior. Passion of the Savior and the power of God to deliver it. And there is an appalling reaction to dry preaching, but it is just that. It is not a reaction to the doctrine as much as they may think it is. It's not the doctrine that's the problem. It's the preaching that's the problem. And then he makes the point on page 247 of my book in this particular lecture, he makes the point that only, only doctrinal preaching will bring about revival. God honors the preaching, says Gambrel. God honors the preaching that honors him. There's entirely too much milksop preaching nowadays trying to cajole sinners to enter into a truce with their maker, quit sinning, and join the church. The situation does not call for a truce, but for a surrender. And uh, then, of course, he refers to Whitfield, and Edwards, Spurgeon, Paul, and the like, such as that, to make his point that only sound doctrinal preaching will result in revival. I, I was listening. I was at a meeting. I'll just say a meeting somewhere a few years ago. And uh, preacher after preacher got up. <laughs> preaching on revival. And uh, the thought occurred to me, I pinned my Bible, and it's no new thought, it's just another expression of what our brother from the past is teaching us here. I wrote in my Bible, revival will never come from preaching on revival. You read the history of revivals and look at what they were preaching. They weren't preaching about revival. <laughs> they were exalting Christ, magnifying this God. That's when he shows up. <laughs> and uh, so that's exactly what our brother Gamble is telling us here. Only doctrinal preaching will result in revival. And then on page 248, I would have you to notice that our forefathers died for it. Our forefathers died for it. And I did, I think I may have read this, maybe not. But he said, truth is a trust. Baptists are particular peculiarly in the succession of trusteeship. Trusteeship. When they were few and despised, 
without papers, colleges, or even the common rights of men. They felt the solemn obligation of this trusteeship. They saw under the gloom of spiritual ignorance surrounding them certain great principles taught in the word of God. They held them aloft amidst the dust and smoke of mighty spiritual conflicts and sealed their devotion to them in the martyr's fires. These principles spring out of the New Testament and are for the guidance of the race to the highest destiny fixed in the mind of God. Now, Brother John could uh, uh, give us a wonderful lecture, I'm sure, on this matter of how many in this country, on this soul, suffered because of their Baptist principles. And then he makes a wonderful statement on the next page. Great states cannot be constructed with little people. The little man can never make a great anyone. And of course he classes Baptists among great men. Great men. Not little men. In fact, <laughs> of course you understand the context of this writing now as I read this paragraph. We are talking about February of 1900. He makes the bold assertion, in my words, not his, I'll read you his words, but he's making the bold assertion that world progress is tied directly to adhering to Baptist principles. Not necessarily the name Baptist, but these principles that we as Baptists hold. Here's what he says. Within the last 100 years, the world has made more progress than in a thousand years before. The century just closing has been preeminently a Baptist century. During this time, the principles for which they stand have had something like fair play and have been widely and in many cases unconsciously accepted. They have, like Levin, worked a change in the thought of all the leading nations of the earth. They have emancipated the minds of men and opened the door of knowledge to all of mankind. They have put out the martyr's fire over nearly the whole world. Before Luther or Calvin or Knox, before modern Protestantism was born, Baptists stood for the right of a man to have a Bible open, open on his knee and for the further right to read it and looking to God for guidance, to walk in its commandments as he understood them. The right to read the scriptures, the right to interpret them, the right to obey them, Baptists have always held to be inalienable rights belonging to every human being alike. Baptists, Baptists have held that. And then he takes up in his lecture this matter of individualism. The priesthood of every 
believer is supremely a Baptist doctrine. The priesthood of every believer. Gambrell said, the disappearance of the priest makes way for the preacher whose business it is to open the scriptures and the minds and hearts of men. The disappearance of the priest, he said, makes way for the preacher. <laughs> His work is to educate the conscience and move the heart to obey the commands of God. The preacher, I love this statement, the preacher is the mightiest human force in the world. Human force in the world. He is the forerunner of civilization. He is the most effective reformer known to man. His power lies in his message. The word of God which is quick and powerful he lays on the hearts of the people when the priest with all his flummery retires, the preacher has an open field for his great work and the priest has nothing to do when the doctrine of individualism is accepted. That is the doctrine of the individual priesthood of every believer. When that doctrine is accepted, he says, the priest no longer has anything to do and the field is wide open for men to use knowledge, gain knowledge, and use knowledge. I know that in our time in Ireland, we often talk about or heard, I used to hear talked about the fact that for centuries the Roman Catholic Church kept the scriptures out of the hands of, of people, the common man. And that is true. That is true. But some would tout the fact that that's no longer true. They have, of course, the Douay version. They have their own scripture, and they say we don't keep that. They may not in terms of papal law, but if you go to a country where Catholicism is strong, you will find that in practice it's still the same. They are as a, they, I have taken a, a, a Douay version, Catholic version of the Bible, tried to speak to Roman Catholics with their Bible and they're as afraid of it as, as, as if it held some kind of disease. They're scared to death to touch it, to read it, to talk about it because priestcraft still remains well intact. And uh, that's the simple truth. But Baptists have always pressed for the individual priesthood of every believer and every believer's not only right, but obligation to know what the scriptures say for themselves and to obey that. And of course, then that brings him to the absolute all sufficiency of the scriptures. He says the all sufficiency of the scriptures as a guide in religion is a cardinal principle with Baptists. Boy, that's <laughs> that's uh, almost an understatement. I mean, it, there can't be too much emphasis on that fact. 
the all sufficient. And by the way, we have most of us here because of our background, not all, but most of us, we, we, we have, we have had in, in our, uh, day, in my day, we have had a Baptist priestcraft, which is no better than a Roman priestcraft. Because we've had men who've declared themselves to be the voice of God to the people, and there's nothing. There's. I even heard the most, the most profound expression of that I ever heard. Heard a young man, a young pastor, said to me one time, and in very words, he said, "If God is going to say anything to this church, He will say it to me." What is that but priestcraft? I mean, men setting themselves up as if they have, they and they only have access to God and to the knowledge that He would have for the people. Baptists have always stood against that. The all sufficiency of the scriptures is, as a guide in religion, is a cardinal principle with Baptists. This eliminates the authority of councils, popes, synods, conferences, bishops, and I might add associations, committees, whatever. This eliminates their authority. It gives no place to history as a supplement of the teaching of the Bible. It shuts the world up to take the law from the mouth of God. Here we stand, and on this principle, we will settle all questions. Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. The absolute sufficiency of the scriptures is preeminently and precious a Baptist doctrine. We will take up once I get there, I had actually intended to get there more quickly. But once we get to the actual listing of Baptist distinctives, uh, this will be the first that we will take up. We will take up this matter of the sufficiency of the scriptures and that they are the final court of appeals. Here we stand and on this principle, we will settle all questions. Now, you notice he referred to history. He said it gives no place to history as a supplement. I fear that so many of our dear Pedobaptist brethren, when you press them and press them and press them for a defense of their doctrine, sooner or later, Usually sooner, they're going to go to historical precedent. But as Baptists, we have no claim. We may refer to history. We're proud of our history. History is a great teacher. But when it comes to settling doctrine, we do not settle doctrine on history. We settle doctrine in the scriptures. And that is profoundly a Baptist a Baptist distinctive. And once we take up the act of distinctives, I have a bit more introductory material I will give to you. But uh, once we get to the actual principles, that will be the first that we shall 
undertake. The sufficiency, all sufficiency, preeminent sufficiency of the scriptures. All right? Not uh, the Book of Mormon or the writings of others. Not the traditions of the fathers. The scriptures. So, we'll take up again next week. Short lecture. Just wanted to finish that. Any additional comments any would like to share on that, on this particular lecture? Right. Right. Yes, sir. Right, and they're not get beat perceiving it. That's right. That's right. A tremendous lecture from Gamble. Did I mention he was from Anderson, South Carolina? Married a lady from Virginia. Did I, did I mention that? Okay, I just want to make sure I mentioned that. <laughs> All right, let's pray and dismiss her.